Well, let's talk about righteousness a moment. I'm going to try to connect the dots of what we've already had and, uh, and build upon it. And uh, I do believe this is the most profound message that has been ever revealed in the epistles, uh, in the New Testament, and grounded in the Old Testament, absolutely grounded in the Word of God, but necessary for the body of Christ today. The body of Christ today is confused. It's, we're looking for answers. And everybody comes out with something new. And we like it, and we chase after it, and we nibble at it for a while, and then we're waiting for the next new fad, the next new phase. And uh, the righteousness of God is where it all comes to the absolute height of what he has for us. So I'd like to start with this scripture out of 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is Peter's salutation. Now, remember, Peter had already gotten the benefit of Paul. He even references that in his letters in Peter. And he is amazed by Paul. At first, he was a little confused with Paul. He wasn't even supportive of whether Paul should go out to the Gentiles or not. It took John, who was the chief of the council in Jerusalem, to bless it and let him go. But when Peter began to get and hear the messages, however he got them, whether it was copies of the letters or Paul himself going back to Jerusalem and sharing the revelation that God had given him, he became activated. His eyes were opened. And here's what... Peter says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, this is his opening statement, to those who've obtained like precious faith, like precious faith, hold on to that for a moment, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Those of us who have attained, obtained like precious faith faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith to believe in Jesus, correct? We discussed that. That's, that's a leap of faith. I believe in Jesus because I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then I am washed clean in the blood, not just atoned, not just covered, but washed clean. I am clean. There is no more sin. Nobody who has received Jesus Christ should confess they're a sinner anymore. You once were a sinner, but now you are saved. You don't practice sin, and if you do, you have a way back. Jesus' blood took care of it once and for all. Faith unto Jesus. Jesus through the blood. Through the blood into justification, which is righteousness of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made sin, who never sinned, who knew no sin, that you, me, we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Simon Peter is getting that revelation here. And he says, those of us who in this like faith have received the faith by righteousness in Jesus Christ. This tells us something. There's a faith unto Jesus Christ and there's a faith from Jesus Christ. The vast majority of the body of Christ, no matter what the denomination is, no matter what movement you've been a part of or haven't been a part of, no matter what theology you've been taught under, no matter what the doctrines are, very little of the body of Christ grasps the full revelation of what righteousness is and what it does for us. We don't need to seek beyond the righteousness we need to apprehend that which he has already attained for us. I'll go through the scriptures with you. So Peter, he gives us this, this little inkling and understanding that there's a like faith, a like faith that all who believe in Jesus receive through righteousness. Through righteousness. So a faith unto Jesus. Jesus through the blood. And from that, we attain righteousness. It's the divine nature of God in us. And from that righteousness, there comes a faith. A faith that you no longer work for. And the key to this is, we're going to be going through some darker times in this world. It says it very clearly. Isaiah prophesied, a gross darkness shall come upon the earth, but rise and shine, the glory of the Lord will rest upon you. 
We understand from all the prophecies that those who believe that we're going to enter into a messianic era without going through all of the gloom and doom that, that the Lord has prophesied are fooling themselves. But He's called us to be overcomers. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony isn't just how you got saved. I've also always told you that's a wonderful thing. I celebrate with people when they get saved. But honestly, it's only a 50-50 choice. You either are or you're not. You accept or you don't. It's what happens beyond that. What happens beyond that is we need to move into the highest realm and level of faith. And that's what Peter is pointing to, that there's a faith that comes with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he calls us having obtained a like precious faith. It's the same faith from righteousness for every one of us. You guess what it is? It's God's faith. It's his faith because we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. With that comes everything that he is. So let's move on a little further in that scripture. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as now. Let's turn that around. If you want grace and peace, how many of you say, I'd like more grace and peace? I'm okay with more grace and peace in my life. If you're not, then, you know, quit working at it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There's a grace and peace that comes when we grasp this knowledge. This knowledge that there's a righteousness through faith in Christ will sustain and bring grace and peace into our lives. But we have to grasp it and then rest in it. As His divine power has given to us all things. Turn to your neighbor and say, all things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, that's just about everything, isn't it? All things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not just talking eternal life. We'll get into that too. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Notice He uses the word precious again, even as He used the word precious as talking about the same faith that we would have, this precious faith, these precious, exceedingly great promises that through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Let's just build on this a second. It's one thing to ooh and wonder about Abraham and some of the patriarchs and those that have attained their names in the book and the history of our scriptures. Many times it says it was accounted to them for righteousness. They had an account for righteousness because what? They obeyed and believed God. But they didn't receive righteousness. They had an account for righteousness. And so that account was temporary. That account was just like the blood of bulls and goats. It was only a temporary covering. But they never achieved the exceeding great promises. It said Abraham, it was given to him as a righteousness because he kept pursuing even though he never attained the great and exceeding promises. Peter, through Paul, the revelation, the Pauline revelation, he says, we have received these great and exceeding promises of God. What is it? It's the righteousness of life. The divine nature of God Himself imparted to us because there was a transferal. There was a transfusion from your old nature, your old creature, the old Adam, the lie that was bought by the sin in the garden. It was washed clean by the new creation of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just an offering for sin. It was settling the sin problem. Jesus conquered the sin problem. And then when he did that, because he was made your sin and my sin, we then became clean spiritual vessels to receive the righteousness of God. With it comes the fruits of righteousness. Let's build upon this a little bit, if you will allow me, please. First and foremost, primal to this understanding of understanding this, this wonder of the righteousness of God in us 
is understanding how almighty God is. You see, it's His righteousness in us. And His righteousness is His own self. His righteousness is embodied in His glory. And in His glory is everything that He is. Jesus Christ prayed on His way to the cross. In John 17, Father, I pray that You give them the glory that I had with You from all time. That I will give it to them. You and me, me and you, we and them, so that they can be one even as we are one. If you are one with God, yes, it's wonderful to look forward to when you pass on into the next life. But His intention was that we have life abundant and life now in this life. We are walking righteousness. As I was meditating on this in the middle of the night, for some reason I got off into thinking about it in, in economic terms, business terms. How many of you, you know, wish that somehow you would just be the heir to a Chick-fil-A franchise? They just give it to you, right? You just sit there and count the dollars as it comes through the cash register. Nobody ever finds a Chick-fil-A, bless their heart, that doesn't have a line. I haven't found one anywhere that I've traveled. That's why I don't buy it, because I don't want to wait in line. My wife feds it, that's fine. Righteousness gives us a license to everything that God has and God is. The difference is you don't have to pay for it. You received it as a gift from God. It's like you're a walking franchise of the righteousness of God here on earth. It's yours. And it's been licensed to you and nobody can take it away from you because it was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood is enduring. That blood cannot be erased. That blood doesn't have to be repeated. Once and for all, He entered into the Holy of Holies. And He made atonement that not only covered your sins, but cleansed your sins. He became the propitiation of our sins for us. The sin offering. So the righteousness of God is really appreciated when we do a little bit more to reflect on who God is, we should do it all the time, but it's never wrong to be reminded. It's the righteousness of Almighty God, El Shaddai. It's the righteousness of the Creator. It's the righteousness of the One who is the Master over everything that is. As vast as the universe is, everything must submit to Him. The earth, heaven, and hell. Every created thing must subject and submit to God Almighty. Whatever He says, it's done. Whatever He does cannot be changed. Whatever He intends is His will and nobody can fight it. Whatever is His good and perfect will, everything must conform and bow its knee to. He is omnipotent as compared to any other force there is. All of the other forces in heaven or on hell or throughout the earth and the universe cannot come close to who He is. And so, if we are His righteousness, then this divine nature is inside of us. This is an all-powerful divine nature. This is the righteousness of God Himself. I'd like to just build on a couple scriptures so that we can comprehend and apprehend how omnipotent God in us is. First of all, we wanted to celebrate as the prophet did, Emmanuel, God with us. I prefer we go beyond that and celebrate as Jesus did in John 17, God in us. As Paul said in Ephesians, God in us. God in us. Christ in us, the hope of our glory. God in us. We have to go beyond God with us. We have to go beyond wanting manifestations of the experience of God and begin to realize that you are a walking vessel of God. Wherever you go, you have dominion. You have dominion because of who you are and who He is in you. It can never, ever be anything different. You are a walking vessel of the glory of God and you have His righteousness. His righteousness is a scepter. His righteousness is put upon your crown, your diadem. And when you walk Every force that is spiritual sees that you carry the scepter of the righteousness of God. Not because of who you are, but because of what you are 
in Him. You are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. It's just like Jesus Himself being there. We'll go through the Scriptures. When you understand that, then you should be able to have a lot of confidence no matter what situation you're in. You should be able to know that you can do all things through God who's strengthening you and that with Him all things are possible. Somebody help me. All things are possible. Do you believe all things are possible? Well, do you know why the body of Christ is most of the time on its knees begging for an answer? Because we don't realize we already have the answer. We have it right there. It's already not in a bank account. It's in us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We need to activate and release it. We need to have that kind of faith that Peter was talking about. We have it. We need to release it. The faith that comes through righteousness. So let's continue moving on. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 43, 13. Even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? That's the Almighty God, the righteousness of God that's in you. Take a moment and ponder on that. Look what he just said. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Nobody can reverse what God's plans and purposes and rights and license are in you from God because He's God, not because of who you are. If it was based upon you and I, then we would fluctuate according to our circumstances. We would fluctuate according to our what? Sin consciousness. Sin consciousness is of the mind. It's of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. Your spirit knows no sin. The Holy Spirit in you knows no sin. He can know no sin. So we fight that with our mind and we say, I just wasn't good enough. Oh, I deserve this. Oh, I blew it over here. This must be happening to me because of something I did or didn't do. And then it gets enforced a lot with teachings from people that mean well, but they misguide people. Well, your problem is you need to forgive some more. But I already forgave it three times. Well, there must be more there. You need to work on it. Your problem is that 200 years ago, somebody was practicing voodoo, and even though you confessed it and got rid of it, it's not gone yet. You've got a deliverance problem that's going to persist forever. Now, some of that's real and some of that's not real, but we get chains put on us because then we think we need to work to get to a place where you already are in Jesus Christ. Every demon knows when you speak coming from that righteousness faith that it needs to go. You don't have to wrestle with it. You don't have to negotiate with it. You tell it to go. The biggest problem in deliverance is, I don't even know why I'm going there. Some of you have experienced when I've been called into the most difficult deliverances, is that the person being delivered has to have a will to be delivered. You can't deliver them against their will. The minute they agree, it's over with. Isn't that true, Ralph? The minute they agree, it's done in five minutes. The demons have to leave. But if the person doesn't want the demons to leave, well, I really don't want to give up drinking. I really don't want to give up pornography. I really don't. I really don't. I really don't. I've been sort of liking this. I knew of some people that used the power of the occult to their benefit, and they didn't want to give it up. They didn't want to give it up because they had power with it, and it was producing results. But the minute you come with that person with the will, and you're speaking from a righteousness unto faith, you have all authority over it because of who he is. Another verse about God, Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts is planned. Who can frustrate it? As for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Does God have a plan and purpose in your life? Yes, he does. And a lot of us have been taken down that path to find our plan and purpose. Well, you know, it's like this. It's like you want to get to an end place. There's a map that's been given to you. And what you want to do is go, first of all, to find all the things to take you to the end place when all you need to do is go to the end place and all the things come in place. We get obstacles. We get challenges. Well, you know, you need to discover your plan and purpose. Well, okay. How about you discover that you're the righteousness of God and Christ and that everything, everything that the Lord has purposed is yours and nobody can turn it back. How about we go to the end result before we go to all the little mini results? And we find a place of rest there. That you're not trying to make it happen. 
You're just trying to live it out. We'll talk about that more in a minute. How about this one? Matthew 19, 26. Jesus, looking at them, said, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, he had to speak to a generation that didn't understand the righteousness of God in Christ. The farthest they got, if they were that enlightened, was the righteousness of Abraham that was given on account of how he acted, what he worked to do. Jesus was prophesying with God, all these things are going to be possible. And then he speaks, Genesis 18, 14, the word of God. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. Job 42, verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Does God have a purpose for you? If the righteousness of God is in you, nothing can thwart what God has for you. You know who our biggest challenge is? Moi. It's me. It's myself. Your biggest challenge now is saying, is this guy crazy? Or is he speaking some truth to me? Am I comfortable where I was having to work in faith? You know, there's big ministries about faith. They're wonderful people. And they've, they've deposited a lot into the earth. But the problem is, it gives a works attitude about it. You have to keep working at faith. Keep working at faith. When faith is working for you through righteousness. It's His faith working for you, not your faith working towards Him. If your faith is working towards Him, you're always going to be tired. You're always going to be restless. You're always going to be one more step away. You're always going to have one more thing to do. Now, don't confuse that with obedience. We need to be obedient to the things of God. They will cause us to stumble and cause us to get lost in the ways that God has for us. But it doesn't change the righteousness of God and His plan and purpose for you. Another scripture. Again, we're building about how awesome God is because it's God in us that is awesome. And we need to understand how awesome we are with God in us because of who He is. Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. For He has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? We've established God is omnipotent. We've established nothing can thwart God's plans and God's plans for you and I. We've established that God can do whatever He wants to do and nothing can stop Him by. We know this by His Word and we know this by our experience. We know this by our faith. But that faith isn't something we need to keep working to continue to know. The faith that we know is the one that comes from righteousness so we are what He says we are. Think about this for a moment. Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 12. Now this is Paul. Paul is trying to teach his disciples in the church of Philippi about who they are by using himself as an example. One of his great tools, this apostle was he was humble and he was never afraid to put himself out there as the example and he was always quick to be inclusive. We. He never was teaching down. He was always inclusive. He was always spreading himself and showing what he has to do. And then he would say, and if you like this, then he said, do what I do. Now, look what he says. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let's stop a moment. A few words to consider. Attained. As you break that word down, it's almost the same as apprehend. It says to take or lay a hold of. Not that I have already laid hold of everything, but it also means if you're a hunter to catch. Not that I've already caught everything. I need to catch some more. I need to get some more of this revelation of what God has for me, but I've already attained some of it. And because I've attained some of it, he says, um, even though I'm not already perfect, but I am perfect. 
It's a paradox, and I'll show you why in a moment. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend, seize, possess that for which I am already possessed of Christ Jesus. That's what apprehended means. What's he trying to seize? The divine nature, the power that Peter was talking about. The glory of God, the knowledge of the value, the vivid uh, presence of the glory of God inside of him, and the concept and the understanding of the righteousness of God. He said, I'm, I'm getting more of it. I don't have it all, but I, I want to apprehend and possess what Jesus has already possessed in me. You're possessed. Yes, they like to say believers can't be possessed. You're possessed of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is possessing you. The righteousness of God is who you are. And when the spiritual world sees you, what it sees is the righteousness of God. It wants to communicate with you in the flesh. It wants to communicate with you in, in the weakness of your mind. It wants to communicate with you in the emotions of your soul. But the actual voice that's speaking from your spirit to the spirit of God says, I'm the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And the Lord God Almighty, the Father, through the Son says, yes, you are my son. Yes, you are my daughter. You are the apple of my eye. You are righteousness in my hand. And so we move on with just Paul building there. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, turn to your neighbor and ask him this question. Am I perfect? Does anyone have an answer for him? What's your answer, Don? Yes, you are. How many of you are willing to step out in faith and say, I'm perfect? Mm. Jeff, your wife is nudging you. I agree with you, Jeff. You are perfect. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Well, if there's nobody perfect, according to what Paul is saying, he's preaching to the walls. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Well, if there's none, then who's getting the message? Nada. Nobody. Because the concept of perfection is his righteousness. It's not your behavior. It's not that you are absolutely perfect in everything you do. It's his righteousness, which is perfect. There's a word. It comes out of the Greek, and it moves over from the Aramaic. And it's not shalom, which is peace. It's shalom. Shalom is the process of perfecting to become like Jesus is. Paul says, I'm still reaching for it. I still want to catch some of it, but he's already possessed me with it. It's up to me to understand it and to get more. He says, but one thing I know, one thing I know, I'm not looking back. I'm going forward. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Minded is what? That you are perfect in Christ Jesus. He doesn't need to wash you through the blood again. You don't need to keep going through the blood. Now, there's a lot of people, they love to talk about the testimony of the blood, and so do I. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Jesus. Washes clean as snow. Clean as snow. But guess what? Every function of your life, every possession of your life, everything that you do does not need to be washed through the blood again. In fact, I'm sorry to tell you, your brand new car doesn't get washed in the blood no matter how many times you plead the blood over it. Your television doesn't. Nothing gets cleansed in the blood but the soul that God has saved. That's what the blood is for. What moves upon you is the righteousness of God. So we got caught up. Somewhere along the line, people began to teach this doctrine to plead the blood, but there's nowhere in the Scriptures for it. Because it's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, in faith, move into the righteousness of God, and then through the faith of the righteousness of God, all things must conform to Jesus Christ and Christ in you. You could stay there if you want. You could stay there in your Pentecostal, your charismatic, whatever experience you had to come to Jesus Christ, God will still love you. He will still move with you. You are still saved. You still have eternal life. But how much of an abundant life do you want here on earth? I want it all. I want it all. And I'm never going to be satisfied. Paul, bless his heart, the chief apostle by whom the vast majority of the New Testament came to us from, the Pauline Revelation, he was never 
intent. He never came to the point where he said, I'm done. He said, I'm keep apprehending. I got it. I possess it through Jesus Christ, but I need to catch some more of it. I need to catch some more of that fire. I need to catch some more of that understanding. And you know what? You may think I'm weak, but when I am weak, I am strong. And he said, you're thinking that I'm debased, but I can do all things through Christ who's inside of me. And you're thinking that somehow I strayed from God's plans and purposes, but I'm right in his hand doing exactly what he wants me to do. And he goes, if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Well, guess what? If you didn't know this before, God's revealing it unto you right now. God shall reveal this unto you. Paul realized that people have to get through a barrier in their mind to cross over to this enlightenment of the righteousness of God. It should be the message, the foundational message that we teach everybody who gets saved. But we teach them all kinds of other things. We get stuck trying to possess and achieve things instead of receiving the righteousness of God by whom then all things are supplied. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then everything that you need will be supplied to you. We want to seek the things first, and then we haven't even figured out what the righteousness is. We go back and read about Abraham and say, well, he had an account for righteousness because he obeyed God. Oh boy, I don't think I could do what Abraham did. How about Noah? Could I be sitting here collecting animals and, and an ark and dealing with all that dung and all that stuff that he did for a hundred years? I don't think I could do that. I'm never going to be righteous enough. We're not stuck in our works. We've been left free. We're zendibah, as they would say in, in Urdu. We are free in Christ. There's a liberty that comes in Christ whom we are. Verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same things. You've already attained You've already attained. Be like-minded. We are perfected. Now, let's talk about the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ. Philippians 3, 7, 9. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, the other word for depends on faith, the righteousness of God that yields faith. So, what do we see here? Paul is speaking, first of all, from a legalistic side. He's coming as a rabbi. He's coming as one who studied under Gamaliel and was practicing the law very strong. Paul understood Torah. Paul understood the law. Paul practiced the law. It took Paul three years of getting himself cleansed of the law in Damascus before God released him into beginning to preach because you had to overcome the law. I know that. I know that because I was in the law. And I know that I was so bound up in the law that when I got saved in Jesus Christ, I was like one of those Galatians. Oh, you bewitched Galatians. I couldn't understand the difference between grace and law. I still wanted to get it through my works and obedience, even though... I knew I was saved, but I didn't know what I was saved into. I didn't know I was saved by grace into righteousness. I didn't know that the faith that I now have is coming through righteousness, not because I'm looking to have something accounted as righteousness unto God. And so Paul's telling them, he's telling them about the difference of righteousness. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, beloved, we are always brought into works. We need more faith. We need more grace. We need more wisdom. We need more love. We need to do more. We need to do less. We need to stop this. We need to do that. It's all about works. Now, again, don't let me confound that with the obedience and living a holy life. We must live holy lives. But we don't live holy lives because we're going to earn the works of God. We live holy God lives because of the fruit of the righteousness, which I hope to get into, if not this week, next week, or the following. But we need to understand what Paul was telling them is there's a righteousness that you're trying to get yourself that's the same as the law. But that, this is the one I love, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith unto righteousness. Once you've received righteousness, there's a righteousness that yields faith. 
Righteousness is a state of perfection. It's being perfect. As Paul said in Philippians 3.15, right? Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Righteousness does not rely on the conscience of the flesh. Sin consciousness is the biggest thing we need to overcome as believers in God. You need to quit being concerned about sin in yourself and certainly about sin in others and more concerned about the righteousness of God in you. Sin consciousness paralyzes us. It's where the devil wants to get us. It's what he trapped Adam with, and Adam couldn't get out of it until there was Jesus Christ. But we have many people in the church today, believers that are uselessly suffering a sin consciousness. We need to have a Christ consciousness, a righteousness consciousness. We need to understand this word perfect a little bit more too. It's a word that comes out of the Greek. It's teleos or teleo. But what it means is it's reached its end. It's completed. So when Paul says that I'm trying to complete and catch everything I have, but I've already received it, I'm already possessed, you are already completed in Jesus Christ. You're a full age. The Spirit in you is lacking nothing. If it's God's Spirit in you, can God's Spirit be lacking anything? Can God's Spirit have a spot or a blemish in it? Can God's Spirit be void of anything that's of God? If it's God's Spirit in you, it's all of God that's in all of your spirit, and it's matured. Another word that's used many times for perfect in the New Testament in the Pauline Revelation is matured. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Christian for 30 or 40 years and either have no hair or gray hair, or for you women, whatever it is that you want to count yourselves to, your feet hurt. I don't know. It doesn't mean that's how you mature. What it means is that you've already matured and been perfected in Jesus Christ. When you come to the revelation of the righteousness God in you, you're matured. Now, you just need to catch it all. And you need to keep catching it all. And you need to practice it. I tell you to always say you're not a sinner because you don't practice sin. You practice faith in Jesus Christ. Right? You aren't unrighteous because you're going to practice righteousness. Righteousness changes the way you think, the way you act, and what you say when you get this revelation. You're completed. And in a spiritual sense, this is another word, that, this is another thing that that word means. It means that you're fully cleansed from sin. Fully cleansed for sin. So now turn back to your neighbor and ask them again, are you perfect? Do you have an answer for them? And how about you tell them, Boy, are you perfect. All right, we're getting somewhere. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if we are His righteousness, right, then we understand more what it means to be a new creation. It says we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That new creation is one that is in the image and in the likeness and in the righteousness of God Himself. And so you have been recreated. You're not just um, uh, a mutation of your old self. You're not something that's evolved from your old self, and, and you're just learning to become something new, or you have to work at it, or if you do the right things and everything, all the moons and stars line up appropriately on a given holiday. How about the feast days? How many times do we have to work on the feast days? Huh? I used to do it all the time. Rosh Hashanah, oh, the windows of heaven are open. Guess what? The windows of heaven are open every day. So I'm going to wait for the moon to be aligned with the stars and the sky to say this and try to deal with some date that nobody's really sure of so that the windows of heaven can be properly aligned for me to be blessed. No, I'm in the righteousness of God. I walk in open heavens. You walk in open heavens. You are seated in heavenly places. What do you need to do? Have the window in heaven open up so you fall out of heaven, out of the chair you're in, and fall on earth? Huh? You're there. You are citizens of heaven who happen to be on earth. So, you know what? I like celebrating the holidays. They're fun, but they don't change my life. Christmas. I don't care if people don't like Christmas. I like Christmas. You know why? I get gifts. I like to give gifts. I like to sing the psalms. I love the food, especially the seven fishes. I like it all. And I don't care if somebody says, well, back in the old days, you know, somebody practiced this that was a heathen. Guess what? 
The heathens did blood sacrifices too. Does that mean you reject Jesus Christ? The heathens have done all kinds of things. I'm not going to let the heathens steal my joy from my Christ. I remember once I shared this with you, and I'm going to share it again, and I'm going to be closing shortly. I never get finished, but Pastor Dave says it's okay. He always tells me, keep going, Frank. Thank you. I appreciate it. He always does after a sermon. He'll say, oh, keep going. That's good stuff. And I say, yeah, thank you, man. Because I always feel short. I always feel like I fell short. I always feel like I didn't get to where I was supposed to go because I got too much. And then the next week, God changes it. And I say, boy, I got this wonderful thing in here. Was it for me? But I remember, you talk about letting things steal God from us. Works steals God from you and me. Having to work hard at faith steals God from us. We forget that he's the God of faith. We forget that Jesus Christ said things, and he says, everything I say is what the Father has told me. I don't say anything that the Father hasn't told me. I have his authority because he's commanded me. We forget that he said, speak to the mountain and the mountain shall move. He said, you will do greater things than I have done. We forget that these lips are the lips of God. We forget these lips are the oracles of God. We forget that these lips don't have to work at faith. They need to declare the faith through righteousness that is already there. These lips are powerful. They're powerful. And the enemy doesn't want the church to know how powerful we are. Just think what would happen if all of the billions or whatever they say of believers there are in the earth. I don't know. What's it up to? Cheryl knows. She's got all those numbers down. About two billion, right? Right, girlfriend, about two million? I know you know, don't you tell me, right? Say it's two billion. What if two billion believers point to a mountain and say, be moved together at the same time? What about the power of that agreement? The enemy doesn't want the church to understand its power. The enemy wants the church to be so embattled in spiritual warfare that we're getting tired. We're chasing demons out of the toilets. We're chasing them out of car engines. We're chasing them out of grandma's house. We're chasing them out of dogs. We're chasing them out of ourselves. We're chasing them out of our dreams. And then we're painting it with the blood of Jesus. He's laughing. <laughs> I got you going. But don't you dare say, be removed in the name of Jesus. Get out. It's over with. You got him. You got him. And his, his knees are going like this at the, at the, the, the vivid uh, revelation of this message going out across the world because he knows that when we grab it as the body of Christ, the brand new Christian is going to have more power than the old person that's been on their knees praying for 50 years, still waiting to find out how to get a prayer answered. I'm not going to go to the courts of heaven to adjudicate the things of God. They're already done. That's just one more step. May as well take out a set of rosaries and start praying to some saints. Get... Get three more steps between you and God. Hey, God in you, the lips of God, the lips of God, the power of God. Jesus said it, I believe it, I declare it. Declaration is the highest form of the oracle here on earth. You declare what God has done. God didn't negotiate with anybody when he declared the world into being. And he said he framed the world with his words. Well, his word is coming through you. You are the mouth the eyes, the ears, the hands of God here on earth. You're his family. You are priests and kings. Kings gives you dominion. Priests gives you access. And when you have access, you don't need to ask him to come in. Paul said, come boldly. Come boldly in because you have an assurance of the faith through righteousness. Let this assurance be in you, the assurance of faith through righteousness. I'm going to end with this. Because I started to tell you the story that you've heard before, but I got to say it again. I want to say it for those who are listening. I want it to be on the tapes, but I wanted to, you to understand that if you can appreciate this, then you'll appreciate how to defend your own righteousness in God. The enemy is always trying to steal something of God from us. That's he's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And he's not going to steal your salvation. He's not going to work at that. That doesn't work too good. He wants to steal your peace, your joy, your faith, your good standing with God. He wants you to condemn yourself, but God says there is no condemnation. So he's always working at that. And I was sharing with you that I was in Australia, and I was in Adelaide. And this uh, two old ladies knocked on my door after I'd got done preaching in the morning. They found my hotel room. Well, my wife wasn't there to protect me. 
But praise God, they were about 80 years old, so I felt we were okay. And I came to the door, and I was just trying to rest for a couple hours because we were having a big service that evening. Big service that evening. In a Lutheran church that was divided and fighting each other, and one, one group wanted to repent for anti-Semitism, and the other group was defending Martin Luther. So they were fighting. So somehow I got thrown into the middle of that. I don't know how it happened. Right? I was like, what am I doing here? And uh, so I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, I can't give my old canned stuff that I'm doing all around here firing up evangelism. I was going before Franklin Graham. So there was revival firing up everywhere. There were miracles. There was lots of stuff happening. But they wanted to break... They wanted to see who was right. And sure enough, that church was divided. They sat divided, reminded me of the Jewish temple, the women on side, the women on the other side, and everything. I said, boy, this is really going to be difficult. Those two old ladies knocked on my door. And they said, Frank, we have a lady. Her name is Heidi. She's a Holocaust survivor. We've been telling her about Jesus for a couple decades. And she's a sweet lady. And when she saw that you were coming to town, she asked us if we could bring you to her house. She wants to make you a very nice Jewish lunch. And she went and bought all this stuff. And she said, you go get him and bring him to me. He will come. How do you say no to that, right? So I said, oh, man. Okay, how long will we be? We'll be one hour. So I got in the back of this little Volkswagen. My legs didn't fit. It was a really small little Volkswagen bug, an old one. thing was about 30 years old. It was, I could tell it was missing in the back. I'm thinking, oh, boy, we're not going to get where we're going. The wheels were shaking in the front, and they're talking. And they're turning around and talking to me. And then about the third time, we went by the same place. I said, hey, where are we going? Oh, well, we just wanted to talk a little longer. I said, would you please take me to Heidi? So we finally go to Heidi, and we come in, and she comes in, and She's so sweet. She goes, Frank, it's so good you come to my house. And she's talking to me with a little bit of Yiddish and a little bit of her accent. And she's nice. And we're, 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 we're just making nice. And she sits me at the table and she had her best little piece of china. I was the only one with it. Her best crystal cup, a nice cloth napkin, gold silverware, just for me. Everybody else had paper plates, just for me. And she's bringing me the food, and she's bringing me all the kind of things I like, some locks, some bagels, kniffs, and I'm eating the stuff, and I'm loving it. And she's talking to me, and then she pulls up her chair. And she looks at me, and I see all of the tattoos on her arm that she survived. She goes, you know, I lost everybody in the Holocaust. I said, everybody? She goes, yes, my brothers, my father, my mother, my grandparents, all of my aunts and uncles. I'm the only survivor. I have nobody. I said, well, yes, you do, Heidi. No, I only have these two ladies that are here, and now you've come. The Lord checked my spirit. I was going to begin to open, and I said, you know what, Heidi? I came because you asked me to, because I wanted to honor a woman like you. I said, now may I ask you to come and honor me and come tonight. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm going to stick this woman in the middle of this crazy Lutheran fight in the middle of and she looked at me. She goes, we'll see. So off we went. I finally got them to take me home. I rested for about an hour. I struggled with what I was going to do that night. I got the word of the Lord. I was very excited. I felt the power of God. We got up. They did their worship. And I just got started in the church about twice as large as this sanctuary in the back. The door opens, and it's the two old ladies with Heidi. They got Heidi in the middle and them on each side. She's got her cane, and they start in, and I'm looking at them, and I'm preaching. Now I'm not even paying attention to what I'm saying. I'm saying, what's going on here? They come down the main aisle. They keep coming. They keep coming. They don't stop. They keep coming, and she stands right in the middle, and they move off to the side. She goes, Frank, I've come like you asked me. I said, please give Heidi a chair. Right in the middle of the aisle by herself, there's Heidi in the chair. So... She goes, I come and I have one question. And if you answer this question, then I'll believe in this Jesus. I said, what's the question, Heidi? She says, how could a God, a loving God, who says he loves the Jews, allow all of my family to be killed? You tell me how that God could do that. If you could tell me that, then I could believe in this Jesus. I said, oh boy. 
So I got down and I kneeled in front of her. I put my head down and I said, Lord, Holy Spirit, you said you would give me the words I need when I need them. Boy, do I need some words right now. And then it came very clear to me. And I began to weep and cry with her. And I said, Heidi, I said, it was a terrible man, Adolf Hitler. He was a killer, a murderer, a hater of Jews. The Nazis were an evil empire. And what they did has no explanation according to man. It was not only immoral. I said, it was from the pits of hell. It's, I can't explain to you how that happened in humanity. But I can tell you this. This I can tell you. They stole our people. They stole our inheritance. They stole our heritage. But only we can allow them to steal our God. If you allow them to steal your God, they won, Heidi. God let you survive so that you could be an example of the victory of Christ. And if you don't, the Nazis won. She wept, she cried, she received Jesus. Why do I share that with you? Because righteousness is the same way with us. We're the only ones who can deny the power of the righteousness of God in us. No other force, no other power, no demon, no force in hell, no host of heaven, nothing that you've done, nothing that you're going to do. It's all here. The only thing that stops us from fulfilling and catching everything that he has for us in righteousness is our own faith. If you have faith unto righteousness, righteousness becomes your faith unto everything else. Stop working. Stop working at it. Stop that mental ascent that keeps looking for something different, something better, some other path, some other way. Christ is the way. His righteousness in you is His glory in you. And because of His righteousness in you and me, we are all powerful. There is nothing that can stand against us. Not a disease, not a judge here on earth, no system here on earth, not a prejudice, not a discrimination, not an addiction, not a sin. Nothing can stand against you when you are operating with righteousness unto faith. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus.